Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and thank you for joining us today for Live Dharma Sunday. Please note that if you have called in to listen to today's broadcast, that all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you are listening from any of our Bright Dawn sites, note that it is not necessary to call in. You may have to wait a second or two for the loading and buffering process to complete, but if there is still no audio, please refresh your page. For more information about Bright Dawn and its activities and links to our social media sites, please visit brightdawn.org. Once again, thank you for listening to Live Dharma Sunday and enjoy the talk. Welcome, everyone, to Live Dharma Sunday for June 21st, 2020. Koyo Kobose here, so very, very glad you joined us. Happy Father's Day. Uh, It is so nice that we do have Mother's Day, Father's Day, you know. Um, And as it has been said, of course, we honor our parents, our fathers every day. But it is nice to have a special day in which we, you know, pay particular attention and uh, family gets together and uh, perhaps has a family dinner and go out and um, reflect on that, uh, I don't know if you call it theme or topic, of uh, what it means and and the values and our priorities. Some of us are fathers and ourselves, and we honor our father. So we're we're a father and a son rolled into one, if we're fortunate to have that status. But everybody has a mother and everybody has a father. (laughs) That's a given. and as my father would say, I, 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 I don't remember specifically, but uh, it's not a matter of uh, some kind of a objective recollection of, well, supposing your father wasn't a good father or was absent or did bad things or, you know, does this mean that you won't observe or commemorate Father's Day? Now, that's a question that it's hard to imagine if you're not the, you didn't directly experience whatever family situation, you know, a person was in. So, but it's something goes that goes beyond that. Huh? Um, and it's not a matter of whether the father is alive or not or, or whether one's father is still alive or not. Because sometimes their influence is all the more 
you know, after they're gone. Um, even though it's, you know, it's a qualitative difference. So I was thinking, in addition to, uh, you know, this Father's Day is my father's birthday. <laughs> you know, I was rolling the one all the time. And he he was born in uh, 1905, so he, uh, he'd be 115 today. And he passed away in 2000. So it's been exactly 20 years. He passed away at the age of 95. And uh, that's not bad, you know. That's not bad. Um, Nowadays, they always say, well, 60 is the new 40 or something like that. And uh, when we talk about 80 years old nowadays, uh, it's still young, okay, in a manner of speaking. If your health is still good, people can lead vibrant lives, okay, for a much longer time now. So when we think about, well, I'm fortunate enough to have to have two sons, so I'm a father, okay, and um, I do have a, a grandson, and uh, so the, the, this idea of generations uh, is a valuable reflection. Uh, when we think about this, the, the continuing rolling generational thing, aspects, okay? um, parents and children, this is a, a, a life's reality, huh? and um, that kind of a broader perspective okay, of generations and our place in this whole scheme uh, is a valuable one in terms of, uh, you know, self-introspection reflected upon priorities and values. How am I living? And and I'm not going to live forever in terms of our earnestness and sincerity in our life's path. Okay? And I think it's okay to have selective memory in terms of childhood memories or aspects in which uh, we could utilize in positive ways to go forward. Because undoubtedly, one's own perspective, mental set, attitude, whatever you want to call it, but how you want to look at life events, okay, we have a choice of looking at it on a dark side okay, and not denying any particular dark sides, but wanting to uh, focus on those positive things. And sometimes dark things could be positive when we look back on, on retrospect. Those were inform, you know, very formative times, whatever the, you know, whether they, quote, good or, quote, bad, unquote, in terms of how we wanted them to be. They are what they are. And undoubtedly, all of our experiences make us what we are today. And 
how we interpret, reinterpret, and hopefully continue to reinterpret as time goes on. That's that's I think I think that's our responsibility, our job, huh? in terms of healthy living, okay? and not not any kind of a, a denial or or um, being cynical in any way, but hey, find those things that will inspire oneself okay? in terms of how one was raised and one's one's um, social status as a child or as a... If you want to find things that, oh, these are things to regret or these are things to feel bad about, okay, that's fine too. And use them. Okay? That's... that's uh, I don't know what that this beeping is on this... New, I'm using my wife's phone this today, but... Okay. That's happy Father's Day. Today's guest to give us a dimer glimpse is Rob Kanyo. He lives in Chicago, Illinois, my old stopping grounds, and he was part of our LM9 group. Okay? We're on our LM13 group now, and he's been very active in our um, uh, lay minister resource group and, and, and keeping the Bright Dawn uh, program running smoothly. And so he's very active in supporting Bright Dawn Center. And here is Rob Kanyo. Good morning. My name is Rob. My bright dawn name is Kanyo, and I'm a lay minister in the Chicago area. So far, 2020 has been a rather uh, challenging year. We are barely halfway through it. We've already had to deal with unprecedented lockdowns and shutdowns for a pandemic, as well as a level of civil unrest unheard of since the 1960s. I lived through Chicago's 1968, but I was young enough at the time that I certainly don't remember it. I've heard stories about the chaos back then, but those stories don't compare to what I saw in person at the end of May and beginning of June. Rioters and looters piggybacked off of the valid protests that people were doing in the names of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Black Lives Matter, and Defund the Police. And in the midst of all this, we still have the pandemic bearing down on us like the Sword of Damocles. For those of you who are not familiar with that concept, I found the following description in a post on the History Channel website written by Evan Andrews. Cicero, the famed Roman orator, described it in his Tusculan Disputations, and Evan Andrews had this to say about it. Cicero's version of the tale centers on Dionysius II, a tyrannical king who once ruled over the Sicilian city of Syracuse during the 4th and 5th centuries BC. Though rich and powerful, Dionysius was supremely unhappy. His iron-fisted rule had made him many enemies, and he was tormented by fears of assassination, so much so that he slept in a bedchamber surrounded by a moat and only trusted his daughters to shave his beard with a razor. As Cicero tells it, the king's dissatisfaction came to a head one day after a court flatterer named Damocles showered him with compliments and remarked how blissful his life must be. Since this life delights you, annoyed Dionysius replied, do you wish to taste it yourself and make a trial of my good fortune? When Damocles agreed, Dionysius seated him on a golden couch and ordered a host of servants wait on him. He was treated to succulent cuts of meat and lavished with scented perfumes and ointments. Damocles couldn't believe his luck, 
But just as he was starting to enjoy the life of a king, he noticed that Dionysius had also hung a razor-sharp sword from the ceiling. It was positioned over Damocles' head, suspended only by a single strand of horsehair. From then on, the courtier's fear for his life made it impossible for him to savor the opulence of the feast or enjoy the service. After casting several nervous glances at the blade dangling above him, he asked to be excused, saying he no longer wished to be so fortunate. For Cicero, the tale of Dionysius and Damocles represented the idea that those in power always labored under the expector of anxiety and death, and that, quote, there can be no happiness for one who is under constant apprehensions, unquote. Now, constant apprehensions is a very good way to describe what people in this country have been experiencing since the middle of March. How do we deal with living under a state of constant apprehensions for this length of time? How can we continue to lead meaningful, healthy lives, brimming with positive energy, when we have the sword of COVID-19 hanging above our heads? Many states are in the process of opening up again. Illinois will be entering its fourth of five phases late next week. Where we live in Chicago, we're just minutes away from the Indiana state line, and Indiana is already several steps ahead of Illinois in terms of opening up. However, Many states that have already opened up are seeing surges in COVID-19 cases. There's a certain independent streak in the American people. Now, that has historically been seen as a strength in our country, American independence. In the face of something like the sword of COVID-19, that can actually end up being detrimental. When I've been out and about over the past few weeks, both in Chicago and Indiana, I've seen so many people not wearing masks or any kind of facial coverings. I have friends in other states that adamantly refuse to wear them and who refuse to shop at any stores that require any kind of facial coverings. Christopher Kakuyo Sensei, a fellow Bright Dawn lay minister who is affiliated with the Salt Lake Buddhist Fellowship in Salt Lake City, uh, he had a wonderful quote a while back. He said, wearing a mask is an act of compassion. Wearing a mask is an act of compassion. A mask is not going to prevent me from catching COVID-19 from you. But if I end up being infected without realizing it, and yes, asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic patients have been shown to actively shed the virus through respiratory droplets, if I end up being infected without realizing it, the mask I wear might just prevent you from catching COVID-19 from me. Wearing a mask is an act of compassion. It is your way for caring for those around you, for those you interact with. I won't wear my mask because I am told to. I don't wear my mask because I am forced to. I wear my mask because I choose to, because it is my way of demonstrating that I care for the people around me and the people that interact with me on a daily basis. When I explain this in this way, my two out-of-state friends who won't wear masks, all of a sudden they had nothing to say in response. Wearing a mask is an act of compassion, and it has been demonstrated that wearing masks can cut down on COVID-19 transmission. Until we have a vaccine or some sort of reliable, viable medication for treatment, this is the best way to limit the spread of this disease. So how does this help us continue to thrive under the threat of these constant apprehensions? 
Apprehension is a form of worry. Worry is a form of fear. This form of fear comes into play when the ego is concerned about something that might happen in the future. It hasn't happened yet. It might happen, but it also might not happen. The Buddhist concept of non-attachment comes into play here. In the words of the Disney song, let it go. In his book, Everyday Suchness, Yomi Kabuse says, non-attachment is not detachment or indifference or escape. We should not become indifferent to life's problems. Life should not be escaped. It cannot be escaped if one is sincere. Life and its problems must be squarely faced and dealt with, but they are not things to become attached to. He goes on to say, whatever we do, we should do sincerely, honestly, and with full strength. And when it is done, it is done. Do not become attached to it. Many people become attached to the past or the future and neglect the important present. We must live in the best now with full responsibility. When the sun shines, enjoy it. When it rains, enjoy it. All things in life, let them come and let them go. This is a secret of life that keeps one from getting upset or neurotic. Let it go. This is, of course, easier said than done. We, each of us, need to find our own ways to let it go, to live in the best now that we can, yet retaining our responsibility. The future is a construct that has not happened yet. The past is something that is said and done and cannot be changed. To have any level of worry or apprehension or fear about what has not happened yet or about what cannot be changed is detrimental to our own well-being. And at the same time, we are all interconnected. I wear my mask to protect everyone that I end up connecting with. If all of us out there could see these interconnections and all of us out there would wear these masks or some sort of facial coverings, then COVID-19 would no longer be a source of apprehension for any of us. Thank you very much, Koyo-sensei, for this opportunity, and thank you all for listening to this. Yeah, thank you very much. A lot of meaty stuff there. And uh, I read the article about Buddha's unconditional love and about the notion of grace in Buddhism. Um, I think it was Dogen or one of the uh, religious leaders uh, had a famous quote, something like, the way to successfully walk a spiritual path is to do so as though you had an unpayable debt on your shoulders. Um, in Japanese, there's a word called on, uh, O-N. <laughs> it looks like the English on, but this is a Japanese word called pronounced on, and it roughly uh, translates as obligation, and that we have all kinds of on, all kinds of uh, obligations that we owe, uh, well, parents, okay, obligation to uh, uh, our nation, to the world, to you know, all kinds of on, societal on, parental on, and so forth. Uh, we receive, you know, and the notion of grace is we receive so much that we didn't really deserve or work for it. And in that sense, 
have an obligation to somehow give back, even though we cannot fully get rid of our debt. And maybe that's okay. That's what they're saying here. We don't deserve it, but we get all this love, unconditional love. You're accepted just as you are. This is something that's so deep, <laughs> it takes a lot of unpacking, you know. Um, and just as the teaching of non-attachment, that's, that's, a, that's a real rough one, full of potential perils of misinterpretation uh, or, and so forth, okay, that it has to be addressed in terms of non-attachment does not mean detachment and things like this. And so it is the same for grace, for own obligation. Uh, um, it sounds kind of a, like a heavy burden when, when it's said, well, the way you want to successfully walk your path is that you, you have this unpayable debt on your, on your shoulders. How is that spiritually helpful? Okay. And my father has an article I think it was in the center within. The title is uh, Misfortune is Fortune. Um, This is one of the really crucial aspects, I think, of Buddhist teaching. Um, (laughs) Excuse me, but I'm going to swear, okay? Because it just came in my mind. And it's okay to swear if it's for educational purposes, right? But there was that... uh, uh, flyer, uh, and also it became a, on T-shirts about the philosophies of the world religions, and it's you know, and it's a takeoff on the bumper sticker, shit happens, okay. where shit means suffering, uh, and the one for Buddhism was when shit happens, it's not really shit. That's what I was reminded of. So what does that mean? How does humanity, how does a human individual handle the first noble truth that things don't always go the way you want? Isn't this what parents have to teach the real young children? That's one of the biggest lessons in life. Things don't always go the way you want necessarily. That's what, this is what you call emotional growing up, em, emotional maturity. How do you handle things when things don't go the way you want? Okay. The way our ego wants. How do we get a perspective on that? This is so crucial, so basic. Uh, and, uh, well, I, when I think about my father and... Um, you know, we, uh, when he passed away in 2000, the Kubose family, we, we wanted to commemorate that with, and put out some kind of, a, um, um, you know, a book and we call it Remembering Sensei. And, um, uh, we put in all our, our memories and, and, you know, significant uh, recollections of our association with our father, okay, 
or you know, husband okay, or brother, okay, whatever it was, the relationship was, okay, or as congregation members to their minister. And we did include in that remembering sensei um, a lot of uh, associations or memories that members of his congregation had of him. And sometimes there were certain certain incidents or certain uh, memories that stood out for them, you know. One person recalled that when he was, my father was talking, giving a Dharma talk from the pulpit, and he was talking about goldfish that got, when people would get goldfish for a pet, and then they didn't want it anymore, and they flushed them down the toilet, and he started crying. <laughs> you know, maybe not obviously, but tears were coming down, and that touched him. That these goldfish got flushed down the toilet, and this impacted this congregation member that witnessed that. All kinds of very poignant, nostalgic kinds of. Remembering senseis come to light, okay. uh, and every every person has their own private special ones, of course, um, and they all can k- come under some kind of a category, perhaps of unconditional love, or be of grace, or of what we owe, or some kind of unpayable debt, okay. and. Um, uh, Sometimes there's humorous stories. Sometimes there's very impactful stories. And I think it behooves us on these special kinds of uh, holidays, Mother's Day, Father's Day. And um, uh, we as a family, we always used to, you know, when... uh, for minister's family, Sunday is not a holiday. That's the work day, you know, busy day. So we had Mondays was our sort of a family day. And uh, we would, you know, uh, when the children were younger, we would you know, have an older brother, younger sister. And when we were all living at home, it was on Mondays that we would uh, have an outing. You know, uh, take the dog greyhounding, we call it. Because <laughs> in the city, um, you know, the dog, the city dogs, they don't get to run free. It's kind of dangerous for them if they're not street trained and so forth. So on on Monday, we would take our dog and go out to a you know park where there's not many people around and, and it's not crowded and so forth. And we could let him off the leash and he'd run around and say, hey, so we got to take our dog greyhounding, we called it. And a lot of times we would go to a outdoor movie, you know. And uh, that's that's one big family <laughs> memory that I have of, uh, and we would have a shishi uh, bucket. <laughs> you don't understand the Japanese. Shishi uh, means urine. So we would have this enameled uh, bucket with a lid on it in the car when we went to the 
outdoor movie. And uh, we would, if it, the need arose for anybody, any of us kids that needed to use that shishi bucket, okay, we would we would use that bucket, okay. These kinds of memories that uh, of family life, huh? and um, you know, I think about there's no one way that a family dynamics. Uh, is best or, you know, uh, but I do know that my father, I was never hit. I was never physically disciplined like that when I grew up. And of course, when, whatever, however you grow up is okay. Huh? That's why you grew up. But when we reflect on it later in life, we, we can, reinterpret those aspects, okay? which we couldn't do when we were in the midst of it. But I, was, I think I was so fortunate yeah, that I never received that kind of corporal punishment or anything like that. Now, I don't know. Maybe it would have been good for me. I, I'm not saying that. I'm just stating the fact. Huh? Um, was I disciplined? Yes. Uh, I knew that they were concerned about me because my mom, if I something was bothering them, my mom was the one who sat me down and talked to me about it. And I would, and my one of my childhood memories is, you know, the way the mom speaks. She says the same thing she could say in five minutes, but it takes her forty-five minutes to say it over and over again in different ways. It shows her concern, see? trying to teach you that life. You can't just do the easy way all the time, your ego way, and, and you better think about it. And this is why. And that kind of explanation, I think, rather than, um, I don't blame, I'm not blaming uh, any parent who didn't have the, up, their own upbringing or education to, of how to be a parent. And maybe they, things run in family, not just money, but parental styles and uh, if parent was rough on a child then maybe when that child grows up that's how that's part of their how they parent it takes something to break that kind of a influence you know and we may not realize it but uh, uh, it's pretty Subtle, how how you're raised gets translated. You may not do the exact same thing. You might say, "No, no, I was raised this way, and I, 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 I'm going to be the opposite of that." Uh, it's not that easy, or not that simple, I guess. And uh, it behooves us to, to to look a little deeper into that and purpose of personal growth to examine our priorities and values. See. To, to, so that's, is, is this all right, or what do I want what kind of parent do I want to be? Um, so, well, Father's Day, <laughs> what kind of uh, compassion do we want to have for children? And I think this will reflect how we act as a, as a, as a citizen of the world and so forth. My head, but...
That's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going, and you have a beautiful day. Thank you.